0: John chapter 4 verse 23 But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship Him God is a Spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth This passage in John is just one example of a concept that is part of the culture of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. We've been kind of in a a theme, not really a series, but in the month of May. And I want to try to pull that together in something that is really who we are. Uh, The last time I really taught on this, the only time I've officially taught on this, was in 2014. But tonight, you hear me say it a lot, but I want to teach tonight, as far as I can get into this lesson, this... And that God bless you, you can be seated. I was waiting to see if you were with me. you know if you would if everybody would have said "And," I would have just dismissed you because I knew you had it, but since I didn't hear very many "ands, I guess I'm going to have to start from the beginning. Amen, thank you. I will. <laughs> At least one person wants me to take my time. On uh, May 5th, I taught on grace and grit. On May 12th, I taught on being holy, being human. Last Wednesday night, Brother Jury spoke on walking and witnessing, and it was my plan to teach on this and that last Wednesday, uh, but due to the death of Dustin Jones, uh, the son of our very good friends, uh, Brother Jerry Jones, Sister Phyllis Jones, I felt like I needed to be at that funeral, and he asked me to take some time to honor Dustin's life. And so our boys and I went and tried to encourage our lifelong friends, you know, adult lifelong friends. Amen. This and that is part of the culture of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. And uh, when you want something to be a part of your culture, you can't just do it or say it one time. A couple years ago, it dawned on me that whatever you do and say over and over creates culture. Whether it is good culture or bad culture, whatever you do and say over and over creates culture. In a family, in a business, in a church, in government, whatever you do and say over and over creates culture. That's why you do and say some things over and over because you want it to be more than a special event. You want it to be part of the thinking, the philosophy, the core values of, in this case, our local church. So we say this and that quite a bit because we want it to stick. But as I said, I haven't taught on it since October of 2014. It's interesting because Brother Drew Galloway who preached tremendous messages on Sunday. And what a great testimony he has of how God found him. And uh, he didn't say this publicly, but when he was a young boy, uh, a family invited him to go to a campground when Hurricane Andrew hit. He didn't know what campground it was. It was just like a KOA, he thought. And when he got there, this couple who was Pentecostal, took him to the Louisiana district campground to stay for a while, and that was his introduction to Pentecost. You never know. Incredible. Anyway, when Brother Galloway was here, during the service, uh, maybe between services, but I think it was in the middle of a service, he said, Brother John, I travel a lot. I'm in a lot of churches. And he said, of all the places I go... He said, this church has an excellent, he said the best, but I'll go with one of the best balances of excellence and being apostolic. And I said, well, you know, Brother Galloway, we needed this breakthrough we got today. We're just a regular church of real people. Amen. Flaws and all. We needed this breakthrough. But he didn't know about this and that till lunch that day. Then he heard the whole lesson. But I said, it is a goal to not just be this or that, but to be this and that. He said, I go to churches and they're really powerful, but there's not much excellence. I go to other churches and they're so polished. They've got it all right, but there's not much power. And I said, yeah, it's called pretty Pentecost and it doesn't work. And we strive for the power of God. Amen? Amen. And excellence at the same time I appreciated the compliment But I know that you always have to strive for it It's not like a problem that you solve one day It's always a tension that you manage And there are ditches on either side of the road And you have to work to stay in the middle And balance between doing it right And doing it under the power of the Holy Ghost Amen And by the way I have, This is in my notes but In case you're one of those people that are like a thermometer And your job is to tell the temperature of a church We don't need any more thermometers What we need is some people who are like thermostats Who set the climate of a church Amen If you don't think we pray enough Well you should pray more If you think worship would be more powerful Get out of your seat and worship Don't be like David's wife Michael up in the window Being a critic of worship Amen. If if you want it to be powerful, make it powerful. Amen. And Sunday was like that, and it was incredible, and I thank God for it. Amen. And if you're a thermometer and not a thermostat, guess what? Somehow it happened without you. But think of what could happen with you. Amen. So this, is, this and that is always a challenge uh, because of human nature that we tend to Veer to the right or left The Lord told Joshua and other leaders That you have to keep from going to the left hand Or to the right hand You want to try to keep this in the middle In my experience in Pentecost The reason this and that Has become a passion of my life Because I was raised in, in the Pentecostal house I was raised in the church And I've heard people say things like you know, this or that. You can have this, but you can't have this and that. You have this or that. When I was in Bible college, I had a lot of friends at Apostolic Bible Institute, which is a great college. We had people that went there, and and we had a joke between friends. They would say, if you go to Jackson to Bible college, where I went, all you need is your songbook and tennis shoes, because all they do is sing and run the aisles. And then the guys that went to Jackson would say, well, we know that the rapture is going to take place first in St. Paul because the Bible said the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> but in actuality, that wasn't true either way. There was Bible and Spirit in Jackson. There was Bible and Spirit in St. Paul. But we tend to want to try to label people, right, and marginalize them as this or that instead of this yeah. and That Brother Jerry mentioned last Wednesday About having your cake and eating it too That was a good illustration Of what is a bad illustration That doesn't have anything to do with this And that but people like to try To make you choose To push you to the margins Instead of allowing you to see both They feel like you have to choose Between being a church That is solid in the word Or a church that is powerful In the spirit They think you have to choose between evangelism or discipleship. That you have to choose between creativity or organization. That you have to choose between having structure or spontaneity. That you have to choose between having a vision or having good management of the processes of all of that. Amen. I'm not trying to judge them, but this either or thinking leads to limitations and a lot of excuses for not being our very best to the glory of God. Now, I'm just going to say this now somewhere in my notes tonight. Through the years, and we've been working on this concept for years, I have a list of all the places I've taught this, mostly to leaders in the United Pentecostal Church. This idea has grown for me and expanded, and I think I, I get it a little better than I used to. Amen. So instead of settling for the tyranny of this or that thinking we should strive for we should strive for what is called the genius of and and I'm not making up that phrase if we're willing to work at this and that god can help us be people and a church that has this and that years ago i was reading a christian book entitled Color Outside the Lines by Howard Hendricks. And it was a book on creativity and ministry. And he mentioned this, this or that versus this and that idea. And it really clicked with me. And Howard Hendricks, a, a Christian writer, credited the business writer Jim Collins for finding this idea in a book entitled Built to Last, that was written in 2011, copywritten 2011. And when I I read this in Color Outside the Lines, and, and it just hit me that this is everywhere in the Bible. And I feel like so many churches think that they have to settle for one extreme or the other, instead of equipping the church to have both. Now, I want to throw a little, and I'll try to make this very concise, but many years ago, I went to a, a business, you know, like a stress management seminar. I thought I was under stress. You know, I was about 28 or something like that. And uh, all through that day, this guy, who really just had read a book, I think. I don't think he knew what he was, you know, I don't think he had experience. But he was throwing out concepts, and and I would say, That's in the Bible. But he never used the scripture. And he would say something else. And that's a principle in the Bible. And I realized that this non-biblical seminar had discovered, that he had discovered or someone had discovered, some principles that were in the Bible and really worked. And while he was teaching and while I was listening, I felt like the Lord spoke to my spirit about the verse in John chapter 10 and 1, John chapter 10, when Jesus talks about thieves and robbers. Now, Jesus in John 10 and 1 said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, it is impossible for you to get in the kingdom of God to be saved unless you go on the door of salvation, which is the new birth, That is applied to your life by obeying Acts 2.38. You can't get in the door any other way. But Jesus said their people, and he's really not assigning an evil motive, but they have climbed over the wall. They have a Bible. They opened it. Or maybe through study of nature, human behavior, they've actually mined out ideas that are based on biblical principles, though they may not even know the biblical principle that really undergirds that idea. And and I've noticed through the years that sometimes people who are not saved have insight, understanding, and impressive information, but they're like a thief and a robber that has climbed over the wall and discovered kingdom principles, and they teach them, but they've not gone in the door of salvation. I've learned some things from thieves and robbers who were Christian but not apostolic. I've learned some things from business people who are thieves and robbers and not apostolic. But they have sound principles that work because whether they know it or not, they're based on fundamental principles that God ordained in the world. Amen. The Apostle Paul, it's interesting to me that when he was in the city of Athens that he quoted a Grecian philosophers who knew something about God. He said, "Your own philosophers have said, in Him we live and move and have our being, and we are also His offspring." He was referring to one man named Epimenides, a Cretan, who said, "For in Thee we live and move and have our being." Now, that guy was not a Christian or a Jew, but he knew something about God, even though it was philosophical. And to him it was God's and not God. Paul also then quoted Aratus, a solution. It is in the fifth line of the Phanomena when he was speaking of Zeus and said, For we are also his offspring. Paul said, You philosophers know something about God. You don't even have a Bible, but through conscience, through study, through reflection... You've learned something about God, but then Paul took them from general revelation to special revelation to the word of God and that God has called all men everywhere to repent. Amen. So you can learn something, but I've also from thieves and robbers, but I've also learned you better be careful. Who you learn it from and you always hold every idea up to the Bible and make sure it is sound. Amen, And that you don't allow something that is impressive intellectually or philosophically to influence you away from the soundness of the scripture. If you're enamored by your professor, you will be influenced by them. So be careful that you don't follow thieves and robbers because they do not go in the door of salvation. They climb over the wall and learn. Well, I think Jim Collins, a business writer was a good thief and robber when he wrote about the tyranny of the ore versus the genius of Anne. And he's writing about companies. So I'm a pastor, so many of you, you work in companies or own companies. So think companies. This will help your company. He said build your company so that it preserves a passionately held core ideology and simultaneously stimulates progress in everything but that ideology. Preserve the core and stimulate progress. A truly visionary company, he said, embraces both ends of a continuum of continuity and change, conservatism and progressiveness, stability and revolution, predictability. ...and chaos, heritage and renewal, fundamentals and some craziness. Jim Collins says in business, it's amazing that principles always prevail. And when a company was always adapting to the culture and they didn't know why they existed, they tended to not be a strong company that was built to last. He gave many examples in the book in 17 of 18 pairs of companies. They said the companies that succeeded were guided more by a core ideology. He said they had almost a religious fervor for why they existed. Now let me just pause here. Uh, I know why we exist as a church. We have a mission. And in your business and in your family, you should know why you exist. Whether you have a formal mission statement or not, you shouldn't just be floundering around. You should know who you are, why, you're, why you exist, and what you're called to do. Amen? What you're supposed to do, and you should stick to it. He said, A deeply held core ideology gives a company and a church and a life both a strong sense of identity and a thread of continuity that holds the organization together in the face of changes talks about that religious fervor that companies had. And he named some companies. Now, you remember, this is 2011. 3M's devotion to innovation. Procter & Gamble's commitment to product excellence. Nordstrom's ideal of heroic customer service. Hewlett Packard's belief in the respect for the individual. And he goes through some of them. he said, these were like sacred tenets that they pursued zealously and they preserved as a guiding force for generations. So if business people are smart enough to understand that you cannot forget who you are and why you're here, how much more must the church remember who we are and why we're here and that we must be about our Father's business? You've got to know what you believe. What is your message? And what is your mission? And then he said, when you know, when you have those core values intact, then you need to stimulate progress. In other words, you need to find a way to be innovative to make sure you accomplish that mission. I've watched pastors that saw non-apostolic churches growing and they said to themselves... They must be growing because they compromise holiness, or doctrine. So we're going to compromise so we can grow and have a bigger church. But unfortunately, most, not all, but most of those churches did not grow. Most of them that I've observed, not all, but most, have imploded. They changed the wrong thing instead of changing their methods, instead of multiplying their ministries, instead of releasing volunteers, instead of building teams, they compromised what was sacred, what was truth, what was a fixed stake in the ground that can never be compromised. And because of that, they not only lost what matters most, which is God and truth, but they lost Their congregation. In the United States of America, there's something like 350,000 local churches. And according to what you read, and you can read this in numerous places, probably as many as 80% of those local churches, of all brands, of all denominations, about 80% of them are not growing. And most of them, many of them, are liberal. Mainline, compromising, they do not believe apostolic doctrine. So if being weak on doctrine, weak on holiness made a church grow, then most of those 350,000 churches would be exploding with growth because as they used to say, they don't believe fat meets greasy. Whoever made that up. But they don't grow because of that churches don't grow because of compromise. Churches grow because of commitment. And doctrinal purity is non-negotiable. But it doesn't inhibit growth. It doesn't cause growth. I know some people will not stay when, you know, they have to make commitments to apostolic identity and holiness, but I've seen shrinking compromising churches. I've seen growing dedicated churches. Amen. You can have this, which is a commitment to truth, and you can have that, which is innovation, motivation, creativity. Amen. You can have both. But you can't be so driven to grow or succeed that you lose who you are. The Bible is very clear that if you do not love the truth, that you will love a lie. And God gives people up to over to delusion who compromise and walk away from the truth. So, Brother Galloway's comment to me on Sunday is where this falls in my notes. We have some truth-loving apostolic churches that are so afraid of doing something new and different that while they are strongly apostolic in doctrine, they are pitifully ineffective in reaching their community or the next generation. So, we need a fierce commitment to our core doctrines that must not change, or we have lost everything that matters. But we also need a relentless drive for progress, for mission, that we can never be happy to be us for and no more. This September, this church will turn 60 years old. And if you read, there's a lot of 60 year old churches that are just a shadow of their former self. Because somewhere along the way, they quit reaching for that next generation that we were talking about before church, Brother Talbot. They quit having a reach for lost people. They quit reaching for the community where God has planted them. And they shrivel up and they die. Because they do not understand the value of this and that. So everything that you change has to be in the context of your core ideology. Now, when you look at me, you know without even thinking very hard that I am a basketball player. Actually, my son Joel, who's shorter than I am by like a millimeter or so, is a really good basketball player, so don't judge me by my height. Anyway, but I did go to school and I did take phys ed and we did play basketball, I, am, I can foul and pass, but I can't shoot and I can't dribble. I am like Dennis Rodman with the Holy Ghost. I can foul you all day long. But, but I did learn this, that you have, you, have a, you have a foot that doesn't move, it's planted, am I right? All the basketball players help me out here. And you can pivot around that planted foot as long as you do not move that foot that you pivot on, and if you do, you're now what? You're traveling, right? And there are churches that travel. They they travel from apostolic doctrine. They They travel from the lordship of Jesus Christ. They travel from their mission, and they are no longer... Who they used to be. So, truth is like that pivot foot. It's like that, or that foot that is planted, that is a fixed stake in the ground. And as long as we know who we are, then we are free to be this, planted in apostolic truth, and that, free to be creative and innovative and reach our world. Sometimes, younger ministers will ask me questions. And they'll talk about, what, how do you do church? When do you have church? And I said, listen, this is how I believe it. We have a message and we have a mission and we cannot compromise them for anything. But after that, when you have church, where you have church, really doesn't matter. If you have church at five in the morning and it works for you, great. If you have it in the afternoon and it works, now if it doesn't work, then change it and don't just be stuck on a bad decision, Right? That's a bad thing too. And, and you can change. Amen. I know when we painted this, this black up here, some of you didn't like it, but I, here's my feeling. I am, I am now 65 years old, and I wouldn't say I'm proud of it, but I am what I am, right, by the grace of God. Got some grace and got some grit. But here's how I feel. That doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't matter if the carpet is blue or brown or gray When I came, everything was gray. We painted it. Now everybody loves gray again. I don't care about what color it is. I care about the doctrine. I care about the power of God. I want this and I want that. I want the next generation to love their church. I want it to relate to them. But that's not what is important to me. What matters to me is that we have doctrine, that we have power. So I've learned that there's some things you've just got to kind of get over that really don't matter. It's a method. And I believe you hold every method up to the Bible because it has to it has to pass muster. It has to, it can't violate the scripture. All methods are not good. They're not acceptable methods. There's some things you may want to do that that violate a principle, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. That as a church, we've got to, we've got to be flexible enough That we can pivot around with truth locked in. That we can change to reach our world while not changing who we are and what we're here to do. Amen. So pardon me for getting a little fired up. I told you I'm passionate about this. Because I've heard some things that I would call ignorant in my life. And people say things like, well, it doesn't matter to me if they know how to play the piano or not. If that that guitar's out of tune, but they're in the spirit, who cares? I care. Play skillfully with a loud voice, noise. That's the Bible, right? Why do we have to say this or that? Why do I have to make a choice between playing skillfully or being anointed by the Holy Ghost? And that's one of my this or that, and that's later. But the failure of this or that thinking is that we limit ourselves or we compromise and drift away from what God has called us to be. The tyranny of the ore will cause you to feel like you can either have change or stability. That you can either have this conservative power or be bold. That you can have low cost or quality if it's a business. But this genius of and that Jim Collins wrote about that I believe is all through the Bible. Gives us a ferocious insistence that you can have both at once. One of the men that I've admired through the years made a statement one time that you can go down to the car dealership and you can buy a car that actually drives or you can buy one that is fully equipped. And the only difference between one that has very few features at all and the one that is fully equipped is the price you pay. And I believe that in my life, in your life, and that in this local church, The difference from us just being a barely get by church and a great church is the price that we pay spiritually, work ethic, organizationally in the this and that combination of both and not this or that. Amen. I'm persuaded that this is how we should be. Amen. I believe that there are some things that in the past we felt like we're competing, like having the piano in tune and being powerful. They weren't competing, they're complimentary. And believe me, here, when somebody messes up, something's unplugged and there's no lyrics on the screen in the 9 a.m. service, you'd think, you'd think that the Antichrist was in the building, you know? Y'all locked down like, oh my goodness, somebody hit a wrong note. What went wrong in Atlanta West? Well, welcome to most people's world, every song, you know. Not most, some people, some people, some. But actually doing things well, in my opinion, frees us to not be all uptight about that. And we can focus on the glory of God. Now if you're not if, if you don't practice and if you don't prepare and you don't have your act together then you're all frozen up worrying about the next word rather than flowing in the holy ghost. So this and that requires the price of preparation and I don't believe God has any love for laziness. You can, I don't know if that's your shoe size or not, but if it is, just put it on. Not good. These are not competing concepts, they're complementary concepts. Our mission statement, so long before I heard of Jim Collins or, you know, long before I heard of this and that, we wrote a mission statement that involved evangelism and discipleship. And then we wrote some vision statements that I believe are really more values that, We would promote an apostolic atmosphere of power and practice that changes lives. That we would build a balanced ministry of the word and worship, evangelism and discipleship, fellowship and service. That we would create a safe environment of integrity to encourage spiritual health and maturity. That we would cultivate team ministry by recognizing and utilizing the diversity of our members ...and their gifts, that we would provide compassionate, practical pastoral care... ...that we would develop leaders for the purpose of expanding our ministries. Long before I knew this and that as a phrase, I just saw that we want to be a church that is balanced. Now, no person is completely balanced. I used to want to be because I'm a perfectionist, right? But I learned that you cannot be balanced... In yourself. Only to a degree. Each of us have a few strengths. A lot of weaknesses. And you've got to go with your strengths. God made me left handed. And I could spend a lot of energy trying to be right handed. I can shake hands really well with my right hand. (coughs) Practice that my whole life. But most things I do better left handed. That's a natural strength for me. And if I stay in my zone... I'm going to be better to stick with who I am instead of trying to be someone else. Amen? So let me give you some this and that for the next few minutes and uh, about our church, about churches. We can actually be a church that has praying and planning. They're not competing concepts. They are complementary. I believe you should pray first and then plan and pray As you plan. And if your plan. Was not of God. Throw it away. And go with God's plan. And I've learned that. Sometimes when we do our very best. And plan. God comes along. And sort of pats us on the back. Says nice try. Watch this. And he blows our mind. Not because we didn't plan. But because we surrendered our plan. To the Lord. Amen. So I think you can pray and plan you don't have to have one or the other amen it's very important to believe that we can do both and by the way it's okay to think because the bible said in ephesians 3 and 20 that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Apostolic should be thinking people. Praying people. Spiritual people. All at the same time. Amen. I believe that we can. Trust God. And exercise wise financial stewardship. You don't have to just blindly. Leap out there. but you can provide things honest. And have accountability. And trustee meetings and church business meetings and before you do something big and bold sit down first Jesus taught and count the cost before you do something that you might fail at because you didn't count the cost you can be a church that exercises faith and works amen there's some theologians that believe Paul and James had a disagreement about faith and works but They're complementary concepts, they're not conflicting concepts. James said, show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Because I believe God, I get out of bed and go do something. Because I believe God, I act on my faith with obedience to do what God has called me to do. I've already mentioned our mission statement, but you can have evangelism and discipleship. Matthew 28 is the great commission And uh, you can see this verse on the screen Matthew 28, 18 Jesus came and spake unto them saying All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth Go ye therefore, because I have power you go Teach all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost Teaching them So you teach, baptize, teach You teach them how to be saved, initiate them into the body of Christ, spirit and water baptism, and then you teach them again, and what do you teach them? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Evangelism and discipleship must be in our church, both, not this or that, but this and that. You know, there are some churches that fall in the ditch of social gospel and neglect the Great Commission. But you can have both. You can love people in practical ways, Matthew 25, and you can reach them with the gospel, Matthew 28. You don't have to have one without the other. Amen. But I've watched entire church organizations uh, fall over into the ditch of social gospel where there was no more message of salvation. Richard Niebuhr, in a book that he wrote about the kingdom of God in America, he criticized the liberal social gospel. He says, To them a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through ministrations of Christ without a cross. He said they believed that man is not so bad and God is not so mad about sin. And so they have lost their gospel message. Years ago, and I need to be careful with this illustration, I, was, I went to a, a mainline denomination uh, convention. I was there representing the United Pentecostal Church. And I heard a guy named Buster Soares teaching on evangelism. He spent 45 minutes asking why we should reach lost people with the gospel. And I was kind of blown away as an apostolic listening to all kind of social answers to the lost condition of our world. It took him a long time to bring that audience around to tell them, we preach the gospel because people are lost and going to hell. It was a culture shock to me. I couldn't believe that most of the people in that room didn't really believe that. But I would have to say that they did not really believe that. We can have anointing and excellence, and I've already talked about that enough. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And we can have holiness that is both inward and outward. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I believe the Bible is clear that perfected holiness is when the inside actually changes the outside. And those people who tell you that the outside do not doesn't matter at all, I'm not gonna read this whole verse, but yes, I will. Matthew 23, 25. One of you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup and platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first. Not only cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear outward, Uh, Beautiful outward but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness Even so you appear also outwardly appear righteous unto men But within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity In Matthew 23 Jesus said you don't need to make that choice In fact if you think that you can be holy inwardly and the outside doesn't matter You've missed the message of the Bible completely And if you want to make the poster child of Pentecost a person who looks holy on the outside but has rotten attitudes and a gossiping tongue and gripes and complains to everybody in the world, that's not my poster child. I wasn't raised by those kind of parents. I didn't go to that kind of church. That's never been taught at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. We don't teach that the inside doesn't matter. We spend a lot of time talking about the fruit of the Spirit and loving people and loving God. So don't let anyone ever try to force you into a this or that thinking about holiness because it is this and that. It is not this or that. We can have spirit and truth. I'm not going to read those verses for the media. We don't have to have one or the other. The gifts of the spirit are regulated by the word of God. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. We need a powerful move of God. But spirit and truth is the verse I read from the beginning. So I've already read that text. And you don't have to have one without the other. In fact, I believe that people who love truth have powerful worship. Because when you know the Bible, you have something to worship God about. You have some substance to your spirit. Amen? And so, when we have dynamic moves of God, and a guest comes in and they think we're all out of our ever-loving mind, because people are dancing in the spirit and worshiping God exuberantly, They don't know that you read your Bible through last year. They don't know that you're a good citizen and you're a successful employee or business owner. They don't know that. And it it may be a while before they know that. But we know that we can have spirit and have truth living in our church, living in our lives. They're not conflicting, but they're complementary concepts. Last this and that. Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. And I don't have time to get into this verse. I preach an entire message on this. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Make room for growth. It's just a mom and a dad, and she's barren, no kids. And they've lived in a little teeny one-room pup tent. That's all they needed. And the first thing God says is, you're going to have to make room. And then he said, let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. So I want you guys, you're going to have to go down to Lowe's or Home Depot, and you're going to have to buy some canvas, because you're going to have to get a bigger tent. We'd be buying two by fours, and amen, we'd be buying sheetrock, and pouring concrete, but... He said, I want you to go buy some tent walls. And then he says, "He just says, spare not. In other words, don't be, don't be small minded. Don't think that you're just going to have like add a little one room to this tent for mom and dad. Spare not. And then he said, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. Here's what I know about him. He said, For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. This is an amazing, powerful scripture. But tonight I want to focus on what he said about lengthening your cords and strengthening your stakes. Some people think that when a church gets bigger, that it automatically gets weaker. But that is not true. It only happens when churches lengthen their cords and fail to deepen their stakes. That's why I know that in a church that wants to grow, that God wants to see explode in growth, that you've got to you've got to drive the stakes of truth deeper than ever before. Amen. When you've got a little tent a ten mile an hour wind may not do very much, but you get a big tent, and a ten mile an hour wind affects that tent. So you better get out there and drive with a sledgehammer deep, deep, deep in the ground, some deep stakes. You better make sure that your people buy the truth and sell it not, that they love the truth so they won't believe a lie. But you don't just have to be a church that is deep. You can be a church that is wide. You can be a church that reaches out to every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every generation. We don't have to make the choice of being powerful and apostolic or being big and full of new people. Amen. Why don't we stand and worship the Lord right now? Because God has called us to this and that. God has called us to be deeper. God has called us to be wider. God has called us to be everything He's designed us to be. Amen If you're able to remain standing Our core values Our core mission Being thoroughly apostolic Is not for sale It is not for sale But I want to say something to you That I say to leaders I consider you leaders I consider you mature people That I've learned that When you paint a wall or when you change the service schedule, that while you're advancing, you need to make sure that you assure your church, your people, that we're not changing our spiritual address. We're not compromising our core values. Our our foot is firmly planted we're going to pivot around that. We may do some things, and we may decide that what we did didn't work, and we'll be honest enough to say that was a horrible idea. And we're going to change and try to find. We're trying to try to get it right because we're pretty transparent. We're not perfect, but I want to assure you tonight. And we don't have any big plan that I'm getting ready to announce. In case you're wondering, I'm not setting you up. I'm just teaching. But I want you to understand fundamentally that people often read into things that are there's nothing there to read. That's right. That's right. Amen. We're going to redo some stuff in the foyer. That's, not a, that's nothing here, you know. And I've learned over the years that when you develop a culture of change and progress and people are feel safe, but even if they like or don't like that particular change paint the ball black for some strange reason I don't know that whether you like it or not that's not a deal breaker for me I just want to know when somebody goes down in that water did they go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ And do we still believe in the essentiality of speaking in other tongues when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? And do we believe in walking in truth and being holy people? I want to know that we preserve the core while we're stimulating progress and trying to find a better way to connect to our culture. Amen. Amen. So in your personal life, in your business, in your ministry, if you're just kind of, you know, Paul said, I fight not as one that beats the air. It's the imagery. Of it. He said, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not just lunging out everywhere. He said, I'm trying to make every punch count. I want to make sure I connect every time I strike a blow. We shouldn't just be flailing in life. We should be prayerfully seeking God for direction but in your life stop and make sure that the core of your life is anchored deep in truth biblical values and that you're raising your family by them no is not a cuss word it's not a four letter word you're allowed to say no as a parent you're allowed to be a leader as a parent My article about fathers will come out Sunday that fathers should be on the front line leading, not hiding behind other people. You're the strong man. Get that core right. And then if you've just been doing the same old thing, the same old way, and it's not working, why don't you ask God to help you be creative? You ever look at the world He made? I would say it's pretty amazing. It's not all gray. Right? It's beautiful. Our creator is creative. And I believe that God can speak creativity into us to find solutions to problems, whether it's in a family or a business or a church or in a personal life. God can guide us. But that doesn't mean that we're going to abandon our apostolic biblical identity